You're all very welcome. Good to see you. Good to see some new faces. Good to see some people who know. For those who've never been here before, I'm now going to talk for about three hours. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have a little dancing competition after that. And a flower arranging is coming at five o'clock. How's that doing? Okay. So, so here's the deal. Um, generally speaking, during a year, this is the private fire for this table. Yeah, this is, this is your private fire. Okay. Um, generally speaking, in, in, as a year goes through, we'll look at one book in the Bible. Because the Bible's a collection of loads of different books. And we've done things like gone through the book of Ephesians. I think we've done that twice, actually. Um, Galatians, Philippians. And, and I genuinely thought, and we may yet do it before the end of the year, um, the book of Colossians was something that we were supposed to do. Um, and I thought we were going to do it now before Easter. And I, the last time we had a leadership meeting, actually, I think I was only saying, that's probably what we're going to do over the next while. But um, the last week, while I've been, uh, I want to tell you, as I was fasting and praying and really seeking God, but I was thinking about what was I going to do. And um, I really thought God kind of pointed me in this direction around this piece of scripture in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's probably most famous for most of us because of them things that were in that little video beforehand there called the Beatitudes. Um, but it's actually, it's the longest recorded kind of sermon or preaching that Jesus did directly. And like the whole Bible we believe is God's word. Um, but if you have one of them fancy Bibles in the bit where it's the New Testament where Jesus spoke, this would be in red. Okay, so they're really fancy, smancy Bibles. I don't have one of them fancy Bibles. I just have an ordinary one. It's all in black. But, um, but the reality of it is, this whole thing was where he was speaking to a group of people. They reckoned there was thousands of people sitting, listening to him. Um, and most of what we know of what Jesus actually said is in the Gospels. Um, it's where it's recorded, it's what he actually said to people. Now look, at this, there's a ton, and we've been discovering this on the Alpha, there's a ton of proof outside of the Bible for Jesus and his death and his resurrection and all that kind of stuff. And you can go research all of that if you want to or talk to some of the people on the Alpha and they'll point you in the better directions than I even can. But, but the reality of it is, when we want to find out what he actually said, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is where, is where it's at. And a bit in Acts as well. And this piece is, is, is the longest recorded piece of what he actually sat down and talked to people and said. And what we're going to do over the next nine weeks, that sounds like an awful long time, doesn't it? Nine weeks. The tenth week will be Easter Sunday. But between now and then, we're going to take this thing apart bit by bit over the next nine weeks. Um, and when you look at, at who Jesus was talking to, there was kind of four or five main groups of people that he was speaking to when he was alive and when he was walking the earth in, in Palestine, as we call it now, or Israel, or whatever word you want to use it. And, and I just want to tell you who them four groups were. Um, so the reality of it is that the Jews, um, they loved, sorry, let me tell you who the four groups that the Gospels were wrote to, and then I'll tell you the four groups that Jesus was dealing with in the first place. Sorry. The, the Gospels were written for four different groups of people, and Matthew wrote his Gospel to the Jews and to the deeply religious people of his day. And if you're talking to somebody now who's a very religious person, then Matthew is a really good place for them to start reading the Bible in. Because he, he, he calls out to those kind of people. Mark spoke to Romans. And Romans were people who were used to having power. And they weren't really spiritual and they weren't really religious and they knew nothing about the scriptures, but they knew all about power. And if you read the book of Mark, you will find all the powerful things that Jesus did in it. 
And he was speaking to that group of people. And if you're trying to deal with people now or, or explain stuff to people now who are used to power and who want power and who deal in power, then Mark will be the gospel that will resonate with them mostly. Luke was a Greek, so he had a mind like ours. He was a Western mindset he was writing to. And the Greeks loved culture, beauty, and ideas. And happiness could be found in pursuit of truth. That's what they believed in. And Luke fills his book with insights, with interviews, with songs and details that will fascinate a mind that's inquiring. So today, a lot of truth seekers and a lot of, and a lot of times I would sit with people and they'd kind of go, where would I start in the Bible? I'd go, start in Luke. Luke and then follow on into the book of Acts because he wrote the two of them books and he wrote them for people with a head like ours. Because we don't have a Middle Eastern mindset. We don't have a Jewish mindset. We don't have that in us. We're from Ireland. I'm from Crumlin. I mean, that stuff doesn't make any sense to me. But Luke's stuff does because it was wrote kind of much more to the way we think. Does that make sense? And then John wrote to everybody because everyone needs to meet God and only Jesus can reveal him. And in that book, we meet the powerful God but in a human flesh. The one who controls the universe and yet got sweaty and walked, walked the streets. And in the best-known verse of the Bible, John 3.16, where it talks about, for God so loved the world, that God gave the best offer he had, his son, as a hope for all of us. So what I think we're going to do over the next one, I believe we're supposed to do, is look at this section of the Gospel of Matthew from 5 to 7. Okay? It's going to take nine weeks. I want to encourage you when you go home, actually, my healthy, my healthy helper here, my fine-looking man of a helper here, is going to pass these out. For those of you who don't possess a Bible, or those of you who do possess a Bible and didn't bring it, here's the, here's the book of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. And you can, just, you can scribble on this, you can write on it, you can put it in your pocket and bring it with you wherever you're going. This is where we're going to be hanging out for the next nine weeks. Um, and what I want to encourage you to do is read it, Google it, Look it up online. There's loads of stuff out there about this. There's some really good stuff and there's some really wacky stuff. But read the wacky stuff too. Because it will make you think. And, and, and the idea of this is not for me just to go, this is what it is and this is what you have to do with your life. The idea of this is for me to go, this is what he said. How is that going to affect your life? Because these are the words of Jesus. These are not the words of Brian. And I believe his words have power to change things for the better. And my dream, the dream is this, that the week after we finish this at Easter week, I believe that if we really not just get into this teaching, but if we actually let this teaching get into us, that we'll be different people. That we will be different people. Now, I know there's going to be weeks where you'll miss, and for whatever reason, we will attempt to record this every week and put up a podcast and you can listen to a podcast. But I want to tell you, you can't be sitting on your own with God and letting him talk to you out of his word. As good as it may be getting someone else to explain something to you, you can't be when the Holy Spirit drops something into your spirit. When he just goes, and you just read something, and you go, oh my God, I never saw that before. Did everyone get one? No. Huh? There's not enough for everyone in the audience. Sorry, okay. I get it. Whoever didn't get one, I can print more off later on. Are you good? Since Christmas, God has spoken to us. We are good. I'll wait till they finish distributing things. We are good. Okay. Since Christmas, God has spoken to us through the forward teaching, through the Saturday that we were here with the forward stuff and just the love that he poured out in this place that day was just phenomenal. Um, 
through his call to us that 2019 was going to be a year of challenge, which I didn't like. Don't know about the rest of us, but I was happy enough without that one. Um, but the challenge was for us to be all that we were created to be, to live our lives on purpose, to make a difference in our world, to make a difference in your world, in your family, in your community, in your workplace, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus wherever we go. And to know that you're here and we're here on purpose, for purpose and with purpose, that it's not an accident. And that even that you're sitting in this room isn't an accident. That God has a purpose in it. And to know that he's with us in every moment of it, that he's empowering us, he's directing us, he's encouraging us, and he's strengthening us. And he will be, and he always was with us. And he always will be with us. Amen. He's not going to leave us on our own. And whatever challenge you may be facing, you're not on your own in it. And I don't mean you're not on your own because we're here. You're not on your own because God's in it with you. But you need to invite him into that place. We have a thing going on um, in life that's just, it's a big challenge right now. And about a week and a half ago, I woke up one morning about five o'clock in the morning and Woody was just about to grab me. And, and I trained as what the, in, in cognitive therapy is what they call it, and it's all about control your thinking and you control your feeling and all that kind of stuff. But I know too that when I get really worried about something, I can control my thinking all I want and it doesn't stop me being worried. Okay? Um, but you know, I had learned, and, and honest to God, I'm nearly 30 years walking with God. I learned this since Christmas, doing forward. I invited God into that spot. Because at five o'clock in the morning, I was sound asleep. There was nobody else. There was just me and my head. And I went, Jesus, I need you in here right now. Because I can't deal with this. I can't cope with it. And it's going to overwhelm me. And he came. And I went back asleep 15 minutes later. And I never even thought about it anymore. Now, I'm not saying that it hasn't solved the problem. I still have to deal with it. I still have to, to walk through that challenge. And that's, it's looming ahead. But the reality of it was that because I stopped and invited God in, he came. Years ago, I wouldn't have done that. I would have tried to stop myself thinking about it. I would have got up and made a cup of tea. I would have done, read something, done all kinds of stuff. I would have prayed even for God to sort out the challenge and get me out of it. But I learned something in them few weeks where I went, no, I need you to come into this space right now. And what was mad was he did. So whatever you're in life facing right now, I don't know what it may be, I want to encourage you, ask him into that space. If it's fear, if it's, concern, if it's worry, if it's concern, if it's pain, of whatever kind, emotional, physical, or anything else, ask him into that place. Because he said he'll come. And he does. And he'll help us go through it. He won't help us. It's like, I was talking to somebody, and it's like, all of our prayers were escape prayers. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. God doesn't always answer them prayers. He's not always interested in us being comfortable. <laughs> He's more interested in our character. But if you ask him to help you while you're in it, he'll never let you down. And that song that we sang earlier will become the truth for you. He's never let us down. So I want to start this journey in Matthew 5.1. And I've printed it out, so I hope you have it. 
And it says this, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying. And I just want to start here, because here's the thing. He was teaching his disciples. He was talking to people who were following him. He wasn't talking to strangers or unbelievers or atheists or agnostics. He was talking to people who believed in God. And he was teaching people who God believed in. And that's the bit we have to remember as well. That even if you're sitting in this room and you may not believe in God, and that's okay. You're welcome and and I pray that somewhere along the journey, God reveals himself to you in a way that makes sense for you. And if you spend the next whatever amount of time, you can visit here as often as you like. But I want to tell you something. You may not believe in him, but he believes in you. And he cares about you. And he loves you. So Jesus was teaching people about God. And he was teaching people that God believed in. So as we journey through this sermon, and this this teaching is going to touch loads of parts of our lives. And some of them are easy. And I've looked ahead. Some of them are not easy. So some of these Sunday mornings are going to get uncomfortable. For me. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm going to be the one who's saying it, so I'll be uncomfortable too. But here's the reality of it. I want to remind you of this one truth. God loves you, God believes in you, and God wants the best for you. He loves you, he believes in you, and he wants the best for you. And he has never yet told us to do something or to to go through something that he won't give us the grace and the strength to do. Jesus Christ gave us the eight Beatitudes in the sermon. They're recorded in, in Matthew. And Matthew's gospel was directed to an audience steeped in Hebrew tradition. He stressed that Jesus was the Messiah. He stressed that this Old Testament prophecies had come true and that this man who was here right now was the Messiah and he was the Savior that everyone was waiting on and that Jesus offered us a way that promised eternity beyond this life, that there was something beyond this life and we could go there. And the teachings of during his life Is that better? Ah, I can even hear myself now. That's amazing. Okay, so the pure in spirit is not an endorsement of poverty. It's an acknowledgement of our need for God in all aspects of our life. And it's all about not having an independent spirit. That's all. It's not being full of pride. Instead, it's having a kind of a, it's just having a way about you that that knows that you look to God for whatever you need in life. It doesn't mean you don't do stuff for yourself too. You don't sit at home and expect God to just send everything to you. If he's giving you two arms and two legs, you can kind of add a bit of weight to your prayers. But there is a thing in it about looking to God. I know, and, and you know what? I honestly can tell you, I know that without God, I'd have nothing. I don't even know that I'd have a marriage. I don't know that I'd have a family. I know I wouldn't have the home we live in because he worked a miracle. We should never have got that home. We had a house repossessed. We got a second mortgage off people who repossessed the house off us to buy a house that we should never have got. You don't want to believe in miracles? You try doing that with any bank. See if they give you a mortgage. And wrote off the debt that we owed them from the first one. I wouldn't have anything but for God. I wouldn't be able to breathe but for God. If we depend upon God, then we see the manifestation of the kingdom of God in earth. And we see it on life. 
It's pride that's the opposite of humility, and that brings misery. For pride brings anger and the seeking of revenge, especially when one is offended. We talked a lot about being offended over the last few weeks. Someone once said, if every man were humble and poor in spirit, there'd be no war. Wouldn't that be cracking? Imagine that. If every man were humble and poor in spirit, there'd be no war. And I'm going to finish every one of these with this phrase. I wonder what our world would be like if we prayed, Lord, let me be poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That deserves a party popper. (laughs) Whoever told you could have a party because you're mourning? And I think Jesus is talking about loads of different kinds of mourning here. I think some of it he's talking about the morning, maybe over the condition of the world and the horrible things that you see on TV and all the rest of it. But I think he's also talking about people who are in deep mourning because they just lost someone they loved. Or they're in pain because they're losing something or have lost somebody. And I want to tell you, Jesus will come into that place and he will bring healing and he will bring comfort and his Holy Spirit will comfort you in a place where you think it's impossible to be comforted if you will invite him into it. And you too, in the midst of that pain, can realize that the kingdom of heaven can be a party right in the middle of all of that madness. And I wondered what our world would be like if we prayed, Lord, let me mourn like one comforted by your Holy Spirit rather than by one, like one who has no hope. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meekness means having strength under control. And that control is humility. Moses was known to be one of the meekest men in the world, but that doesn't mean he didn't have the strength to do what God wanted him to do. He was an exceptionally strong person, but he was meek. Humility is about having strength, but keeping it under control. <coughs> I remember years ago when I was a teenager, I joined a karate club because I was sick of getting bit up. Right? And I thought, if I join a karate club, then I can kick the life out of other people. Do you know the first thing they taught us in the karate club? Don't get into fights. Control yourself. Have the strength. Have all of the stuff you need to do what you need to do. But don't use it. And what they were actually teaching me, and I would have never had the language for it, was they were teaching me humility. Have the ability to hurt, but don't use it. Have the ability to hit back, but don't. Jesus on the cross could have wiped out the planet. But instead of that, he said, forgive them. Now, if that's not an example of meekness, I don't know what is. Meek people understand authority, and they submit to it and live ultimately under God's authority. Jesus said that if we wanted to be great in the kingdom, then we would be servants. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. Obedience and submission to the will of God are certainly not in fashion these days. They're not but they will bring us peace in this world and in the next. And I want to ask you to think about that for a minute. Because obedience is a, is a, it's a taboo word. Particularly if you say you're supposed to be obedient to God. Who are you telling me I have to be obedient? I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you if you want a peaceful life, here's God's way of doing it. If you want to step into that, then you, you come under that authority of God, but you also come under the blessing of it. But if you want to stay outside of it, and don't come under that authority, then you don't come under the blessing either. So you deal with your crap. So you sit up at five o'clock in the morning, worry on your head off. 
And nothing changes, except you get sicker because you've been up all night worrying. Or you can come under the authority and the blessing of God and say, God, come into this place. And I wonder what our world would be like if we prayed, Lord, help me to be meek. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word righteousness means a right standing. These are people that want to see justice and reconciliation in the world. They want to see people come to right standing with each other and most importantly with God. And because they hunger and thirst for that right standing, they're always concerned about how their actions affect their relationships with other people and with God. Justice and righteousness in the new covenant indicate the fulfillment of God's will in your heart and soul. It's not just observance of a law, but it's an expression of love. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness is about, even that phrase, we don't use that anymore, should we? Don't hunger and thirst. I only hear that in the Bible stuff. What do you want in your life? What are you going after? What are you really chasing? What are you really chasing? Is it fame? Is it, is it um, we were watching that, um, actually on Netflix they have this, um, America's Got Talent, the Champions of Champions. You watch it? Some really good ones on it, you know what I mean? Susan Boyle, I was watching her yesterday on it. But there are people who were, who were very focused on, on what they wanted. And they went after it. And I wonder, what are you focused on? What are you going after? Is righteousness part of it? Is, is justice part of it? Is it purely just about you getting what you want? And I'm not having to go. If that's what you're after, go for it. The only thing I want to tell you is most people I know who've gone after that ended up fairly miserable. But those I know who have gone after trying to see justice in the world and see other stuff happen in the world have ended up getting both rather than just one. And I wonder what our world would like would be like if we prayed, Lord, help me hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We're nearly there. People who are merciful have undoubtedly received mercy in their lives. In the parable of the unforgiving servant, and if you don't know if you remember that, there was, a, there was a, just a real quick parable. Jesus said this story about this guy who owed millions to his boss, and his boss let him off for it, and then he walked out, and some guy owed him 100 quid, and he had him thrown in jail. And he said, I forgave you. Why didn't you forgive them? I had mercy on you. Why didn't you have mercy on him? And the guy who, who had been forgiven ended up getting thrown in jail because he didn't have mercy. And all through the scriptures, Jesus, like even in the Arafada, forgive us this day as what? We forgive those who get up on us. Yeah? That's the crumbling version of it. Okay. Be merciful on it, just as your father is merciful. So like Jesus said in, in Matthew as well, what you did to the least it is, you did to me. So how are you treating people? Are you treating people the way you want to be treated? Or are you treating people the way they deserve? Because that's not always the same. Sometimes they deserve to be treated badly. I'm not saying they don't. But if we treat them badly, we're setting ourselves up to be treated badly. So I wonder what our world would be like if we prayed, help me be merciful, Lord. And blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. Moses, John, Paul, all said that no one can see God here and there because God is hidden. But Jesus says the pure heart will see God. When you allow Jesus to purify your heart, then you can see God in all his beauty and his splendor and his holiness. And to be pure heart means to be free of our selfish intentions and self-seeking desires. That's a great goal, okay? And wouldn't it be an amazing way to live? But let's be realistic about it. It's not going to happen in this planet. But we can have a goal. We can try. 
I have never yet done an act that was absolutely 100% not selfish in some way, shape or form. There's always a little bit about, I hope this works out because I feel better if it works out. Because at least I'm, I'm feeling like I put this effort in for something and I'll see something happen because of it. But the reality of it is, we can move further and further away from being selfish. We do a lot of stuff for couples. And the biggest thing that destroys relationships is selfishness. People getting into a place in their own heads where they think they're right and they're holding their ground. And it becomes all about me instead of all about the other person. Living that way is pure love. And when we have an act of pure and selfless giving, it brings happiness to everyone all around us. Everyone. And I wondered what our world would be like if we prayed, help me be pure in heart, Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. They're the ones who try to make peace. Peace between men and peace between men and God. They're followers of the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, I give you peace. I'm going to leave it with you. Here's the thing. I want to give peace in the world around me, but I can't give what I don't have. If you don't have peace in your own heart, it's going to be very hard for you to give it to other people. But if you can get a hold of God and you can get peace for yourself, then you, it'll just ooze out of you. You won't even have to tell them. It'll be like eating garlic. It'll just kind of smell off you. You won't like, did you ever try, okay, did you ever try to smell off garlic? All you have to do is eat it. Did you ever try not to smell the garlic when you're after eating it? It's really difficult. If we can get ourselves in a place, if you can get yourself in a place on your own with God, where he can fill you up to such an extent that people that smell Jesus off you the way they smell garlic. Then you don't have to try it and you just have to be you. And you will bring peace everywhere you go because that's one of the fruits of his spirit. If you're walking with him, you'll be full of peace. Honest to God, if you fill your life up with him, you will be full of peace because your head will be full of him, your heart will be full of him and all the rubbish that's going all around you will just bounce off you. you become kind of Teflon-y. I wonder what it would be like if we could pray, Lord, help me be a peacemaker. And then the last one, blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the last one that gets a party popper because I want to be persecuted, don't I? Yeah, like a mad thing. Who wants to be persecuted? Hands up all the people who are masochists and want to be persecuted. No takers? Okay, all right. Here's the thing. These are people that consider it an honor to stand up for Jesus and his teaching even in the face of the world's gone and ridicule. They're the ones that say, I believe in Jesus when they're faced with death threats and beatings. And we don't really have that in Ireland, in all fairness. I haven't had many people coming up to me with a gun or a big stick and saying, do you really believe in Jesus? I'm going to batter you. But it's happening all over the world. There's loads of places, loads of places that are people dying today because they believe in Jesus. There are people being tortured because they believe in Jesus. There are people being taken out of their homes and having to flee their country because they believe in Jesus. We don't see that kind of stuff. If any of you remember the Columbine shootings in America, the guys who went around there put a young one up against a wall and put a gun to her head and said, deny Jesus or we'll shoot you. And she went, I ain't denying Jesus and they shot her dead. Scripture says blessed are us when we're persecuted. How could we be blessed in a situation like that? 
We can only be blessed if we know the one who's blessed us. If we actually know him. If we actually know he has us. That in the midst of all of that, why would people give their lives up for something if they didn't know that Jesus actually had them? That's insanity. Why would you let yourself be persecuted? Why would you let your family be tortured? In the Middle East, there was 58 Christians slaughtered during the Sunday Mass in Baghdad in 2010. In, 2000, and in July 2014, the Islamic State marked every Christian home in Mosul with the Arabic letter Nun for Nazarene, Nazarene. And they told the people there they had 24 hours to leave, convert to Islam, or die. 60,000 Christians left their homes. And there's over 1 million Christians have fled Iraq since the war began in 2003. There's 700,000 Christian refugees escaping to Jordan, Lebanon, and other Middle Eastern countries from Syria. 700,000 Christians. And do you know the reason they're running? Because they're Christian. Because if they stay, they will be killed. But the Lord promised that those who suffer for his sake will be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. And I have met people who have walked in the camps of the people who have fled Syria. And there's not one of them would renounce Jesus for. Because they've got the kingdom of heaven in their hearts. In the middle of all of the suffering. And I wonder what our world would be like if we said, help me when I'm persecuted for your name's sake, Lord. Help me not to run but help me to stand up for you. I don't even like it when people slag me at work. Honestly. The Greek word translated blessed means to be happy, blissful, or literally to be enlarged. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word to refer to more than a superficial happiness. In this context, blessed refers to a state of spiritual well-being and prosperity. The happiness is a deep joy in our soul. Those who experience the first aspect of a beatitude, to be poor, to mourn, to be meek, to be hungry for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure, to be peacemakers, or even to be persecuted, will also experience the second aspect of the beatitude, the kingdom of heaven, comfort. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will see mercy and they will see God and they will be called sons of God and they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The blessed have a share in salvation and have entered the kingdom of God. And we've experienced the foretaste of heaven. And if you haven't yet, hold on to your seatbelts because you're going to someday. I have seen a foretaste of heaven. I've seen it here. I've seen when God's just come and touched people's lives and seen kingdom of God released into people's lives. That's a taste of heaven. I've seen people's lives turned around. I've seen my life turned around, but I've seen other people's lives actually turned around. I've seen them get free of worries and anxieties and depressions that has held them captive for years, simply because they had a touch of God. The Beatitudes describe the ideal disciple and his rewards. Ideal. 
both present and future. The person whom Jesus describes in this passage has a different quality or character and lifestyle than those still outside the kingdom. And as you can see, the eight Beatitudes both encourage us and challenge us to stretch in our faith. So I just want to ask you to remember this, that as you ask God to make you more like Jesus, which is what our, our life as a Jesus follower is supposed to be. To be a disciple is to be a follower. To be a follower is someone who takes on what that person is doing and tries to put it into our own life. That you also need to keep in mind that you need his grace to accomplish it. And he'll work it out in your life, in his time and in his way, if you're willing to let him. And he'll give you the grace that you need. And he'll give you the peace that you need. And he'll give you the strength that you need. And he'll give you the encouragement that you need. And he'll give you whatever it is that you need for to make it happen. And I am not in any shape or form saying, let's all become masochists. Let's all just like lose the plot and go out there and do stupid things for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is realize who you are. You are his child. You have his name. He has your name engraved in his heart and his hand. He knows you and me inside out and he still likes us. I think that's fanatic. That's just like, why? I know me. I wouldn't like me very much if I was him. But he does. He loves you. And so wherever you're facing, today is Sunday, the whatever day in February it is, 15, 16, 17, 17th, 17th of February, 2019, or the 18th, whatever that is. You have a whole life ahead of you. A whole life. And I want to ask you, if you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, and if you want to, then talk to us afterwards. Because he's worth knowing. And he can make a difference in any situation that you have going on in your life. And he may not make the situation go away, but I promise you he will carry you through it. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of wherever, he'll give you his peace and his grace and his strength to go through it. Amen? Let's pray two seconds and then. Sorry it's gone on so long. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that the kids are obviously enjoying that movie because they're still out there. Lord, I want to pray right this second. You can see inside the hearts and the minds of everyone in this room. And everyone, please, I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes. And, and I'm not going to ask anyone to put their hands up or anything like that. I don't want to do anything. I just want to make an opportunity available for 30 seconds to a minute where you on your own, between you and the God of heaven and earth who is in this room right now and who has come to meet with you, who has come to pour grace and love and strength into your life. I want to invite you just to take this few seconds and maybe invite him into whatever that situation is. Maybe ask him for the strength or the joy or the love or the encouragement or the power or whatever it is that you need 
Father, you know. You know the lives in this room. I pray that you would just pour your grace into them. I pray that you would pour your strength into them. I pray your blessing over each person here. I pray your blessing over the kids. I pray that as we leave this place, you would make your face to shine upon them. That you would lift your countenance upon each and every one. And that you would grant peace into their hearts, into their minds, into their lives and into their homes. And I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen.